session, and that is the topic of prayer. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll go into settings where I get very intimidated because I feel like the people there know everything about the topic, they know what's going on, and I kind of feel like a little bit of a novice in a particular area. And so sometimes, I don't know about you, but maybe you feel like that when you come into a corporate worship setting or into a church. You feel like, well, maybe these people have it all together. Maybe they know a lot about this stuff already. And here I am. I feel like I'm just kind of probing into this for the first time or this is a newer experience for you. Well, I want to let you know that you're in good company because when it comes to the topic of prayer, even those through history that have written on it most extensively, who have explored it most deeply, even they say they're like infants when it comes to this topic. And I feel like the more that I learn about prayer and the more I read about prayer, the more I feel just like I'm barely even scratching the surface of what it looks like to connect with God uh, in prayer. And there's just so much more to learn and so much more to grow in. And so if you're here today and you feel out of your league when it comes to prayer, then welcome to the club. It's a very large club. In fact, it's probably almost universal. And so we're here uh, over this course of six weeks to explore and begin to ask God to teach us as individuals and then corporately as well as a faith community to teach us to pray, to teach us more about prayer. The series title comes from Jesus' disciples' question to him in Luke chapter 11, where even after having been with Jesus for two years, watching him pray, listening to him pray, think of all the times that it's recorded that Jesus prayed in the New Testament. His disciples still say to him, God, would you teach us how to pray? And so there is lots to learn and to grow. And so last week, Pastor Keith explored uh, the topic for us of unanswered prayer. And we began to learn that prayer might not just be about getting what I want or what I think that I want or need from God. And this morning, we're going to continue asking the question. And we're going to ask, what is prayer? What's actually going on when we pray? And if you talk to a Christian and you ask them, well, what's prayer? Well, they'll likely come up with something like, well, prayer is, is talking to God. Or prayer is a, they'll talk about it in a conversational language. And if uh, you want to do that, then we should probably establish a little bit of some ground rules for what this conversation actually looks like if prayer is a conversation. And to do that, I want us to listen in on some prayers offered by the characters from the CBS comedy, The Big Bang Theory. And I want you to ask yourself as you watch this clip, if prayer is a conversation, would I really want to talk with these people? Hey, while we're here, why don't we all do some praying? Let's put a little church in this church. Oh, I'm not sure we it's should. It's easy. I'll show you how. Lord, Mary Cooper here, coming to you from Gamora, California. <laughs> I want to thank you for the blessing that is my little Shelly. I also want to thank you for the continued strength not to cold cock him with my Bible. <laughs> All right, Penny, your turn. Okay. Um, <clears throat> hey, God. What's up? <laughs> um, I'm good, but uh, it would be a big help to my family if you could get my brother to stop cooking meth. <laughs> but no cops. Be cool. 
also goes a little overboard on the love thy neighbor. Could probably use that chat you had with Mary Magdalene. <laughs> Leonard, you're up. Wasserman, you're on deck. Okay, I don't know. It's probably a little late to ask you to make me taller. <laughs> oh, um, if you could help out with me and my girlfriend. She's all the way in India. That, that would be great. Hear that girl trouble. Turns out we were both wrong on that front. <laughs> How about you? Uh, me, no, thanks. I'm good. I'm really just trying not to burst into flames. <laughs> Rajesh? Uh, he says he's having trouble dropping those last five pounds. Huh. I might have gone with the talking to girls thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, you only get one wish. Prayer like that, don't we? We ask God to do things that maybe we're not really interested in doing. So Penny asks God to maybe talk to her brother about his drug issues. Or we ask God for things that maybe we think he forgot to do in the past and we remind him of the things that we want. Or maybe we feel when you come in prayer so nervous or so guilty or so confused and what words you should use that you just think, okay, I'm coming to you, God, and I'm just trying really hard right now not to say the wrong thing or to screw this whole thing called prayer up somehow. Or maybe you come to God and you ask him to help you drop those last five pounds like he's a magic wish grantor of some kind. But this clip brings up for us some great questions on the topic of prayer. And two weeks ago, when we began uh, this series, we started it with an interactive conversation on Twitter and email and asked you to submit your questions. And if you haven't done so, you can still email them uh, to Pastor Keith or to myself, and our contact info is in the info sheet there. Uh, but there's still room for you also in your journals to write them out on page 21 and uh, you can email them into us at some point. Uh, but we got some great questions on the topic of prayer, which have informed some of the directions we're going in this teaching series. So, for example, some of the ones that came up that we'll be exploring today are questions like, when I pray, what's going on? What part is God's responsibility? And what part is my responsibility? If I'm going to pray and ask for something in particular... Does God want me to do anything about that, or is that just leave it with him and he'll look after it? Another related question is, does God need our prayers? We'll talk a little bit more about that next week when we ask the question, does prayer change God's mind? Another question was, how do we move prayer from a monologue, just me talking to God, to a dialogue where there's a sense of talking and listening and reciprocation? Another question that came up was, is there anything that I should ask for or not ask for in prayer? Are there some ground rules around that? And the themes of these questions center around the specific nature of prayer as a partnership between God and humanity. And so the title for today's scripture reflection is An Unequal Partnership. And we'll be looking together at John chapter 15, verses 9 to 16. One of the most profoundly challenging things that I find about prayer is that there's almost always built into us this experience of polarity or this experience 
of tension. There's two things in prayer that are occurring uh, oftentimes at once, and both of them can be in tension with each other, and both of them can be true. And this was certainly the case when we explored last week uh, about unanswered prayer. Well, the Bible says, ask for anything you want, but then there's so many examples of prayers that went unanswered. Even Jesus' prayers went unanswered in some instances. So how do you wrestle with those two polarities? And one of the first things to note about prayer is that whatever else we could say about it, whatever else is going on, it is certainly a relationship between two completely unequal parties. Because in prayer, you and I have been given the incredible privilege of, as created beings, of approaching the Creator and having a direct dialogue with Him in prayer. I think about the Psalms that we've been reading this past week in our momentum journaling. And so many of the Psalms speak so clearly to the power and the majesty and the holiness of God's character. And I think sometimes when we get a nice day occasionally in October, you see the mountains and the fall leaves and you think about the grandeur and the majesty of creation or you're outside and you see the night sky and you just think uh, so small in relationship to all of the things that God has created. I think of the words of Hebrews 2 verse 6 that says, God, what are mere mortals that you should even think about them? But the flip side to that coin is that we've been invited and directed to, in also the language of Hebrews, to approach the throne of grace with boldness and with confidence, to participate in this dynamic partnership with God that we call prayer. And Jesus himself modeled this for us during his time on earth. And in John chapter 15, as he's getting ready to return to heaven, he reminds us, of the powerful partnership that's available to us. In fact, the multiplicity of partnerships that exists in prayer. And I'm going to start reading in verse 9. And we're going to see in this text, in John chapter 15, how the partnership image, there's kind of three key partnership images that will come up that help us understand a little bit more about how prayer works. And so Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 9, I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me, remain in my love. Stay connected with me. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And so in this multiplicity of partnerships in prayer, Jesus lays groundwork for us and says, it's actually not just about me connecting with God. This is actually a reflection of the way in which Jesus remained connected with his Father. In John 15.10, Jesus says, I obeyed my Father's commandments and I remained in his love, and therefore you also are to do likewise. John 15, verse 12, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus also says that our partnership with him is connected in verse 11. I've told you these things. You will be filled with my joy, and your joy will overflow. So Jesus has a partnership with his Father. We have a partnership with Jesus that's rooted in joy and in obedience. And then, Mike, his command to us is that we love each other in the same way that he has loved us. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. And so he calls us to partnership with God and partnership 
with each other as well. Now listen to how Jesus describes the current nature of this partnership. And he gives us the first image of that partnership in verse 14, 15, and 16. Jesus says to us, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves or servants. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything that the Father told me. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And so this is clearly a text on prayer. Jesus says, as he does in other places, in John 14, in John 16, in other places in the Gospel accounts, this exact phrase comes up. The Father will give you what you ask when you ask for it in my name. It's a promise that Jesus repeats and models in his own prayer. But this level of access to God is rooted in this movement, in this first image, both spiritually and positionally, from being a slave to being a friend. From being a a non-partner to being a partner. So let's do a little bit of brainstorming together here. Uh, Jesus is inviting us to approach God and partner as friends. So on, just strictly speaking, on a human level, what are the characteristics of a friend or of a good friend in particular? Just shout some out. Loyal. A good friend is loyal. Absolutely. What else? Trusting. Yeah, there's a level of trust that comes into good friendships. What else? Absolutely, they'll help you. If you have a need, in some, your friends are already predisposed to wanting to come and help meet those needs. I'm thinking about the number of times you know, people have moved and you, know, you say, we're, we're going to move, and your friends are like, okay, yeah, I'll come and help you with that. And try asking that of total strangers. It doesn't work very well. You have to pay the money in order to make them do that. What else? Other characteristics of friendship? They're interested in what's going on in your life. Yeah, yeah. What else? Honest. There's a level of honesty that comes into good friendships. So much so that a friend will tell you not just what you want to hear, but what sometimes you need to hear. Yeah. What else? Sorry? There's a level of sharing that comes. Yeah. Yeah. There's an openness in a friendship. What else? Forgiveness. Yeah. Absolutely. There's so many good images here for us that help us understand what the language of partnership that Jesus is trying to communicate to us about how to go about thinking about prayer. So Jesus is laying out some of these characteristics and he's inviting us to apply these same ideas and thoughts into our prayer connection with God. So the first thing that's been mentioned, friends value what's on their friend's mind. Jesus says, a master doesn't confide in his slaves, in John 15, 15. You don't tell people who are non-friends things of great confidence to you, that you hold close to your heart. But if you have a good friend, you're much more willing. And if you are a good friend, you're willing to receive that which is on your friend's mind or on the mind of those that you're in partnership with. And God already knows what's on my mind, but how often, the question that came to me is, how often do I know 
what's on his mind. In prayer, sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I just need to remind God of all the things that are going on in here. Instead of sometimes thinking, you know what, God, I want to come to you today in prayer and I want to remind myself of the fact that if I'm a friend of yours, it would be important for me to begin to value more closely the things that are on your mind. Would you be open to sharing some of those things with me? I'm inviting God in prayer to help me value what he values, to ask him what's on his mind and heart for today, for my life, and for his world. Another characteristic that we mentioned is that good partners share things with each other. In fact, they share everything with each other. John 15, 15, Jesus says, I have told you everything that the Father told me. I didn't hold anything back. There's nothing that God wanted me to, you to know that he told me that I kept from you in any way. It's all out there. Good partners share everything with each other. And in prayer, God's inviting us to come to him as listeners and as learners, but also to make our requests known to him. There's a dialogue where he wants me to share with him just as I ought to want to be shared with by him. In his commentary on this passage, Dr. Rodney Whitaker notes that the result of this level of communion with God is answered prayer. Because prayer in Jesus' name is prayer that's in union with him and in keeping with God's character and God's purposes. If my desire in prayer is to value what God values in the way that he values it, then I will begin to learn to pray for God's will and not for my own selfish desires. That's really what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It's not just a magic incantation that I tack on to the end of my list of requests so that somehow they will be answered because the Bible says, well, you should pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name is in accordance with Jesus' heart and his will, not my own selfish desires. Because even while we're called friends, verse 16 very quickly reminds us that friendship does not mean that we are equals. Jesus says, you did not choose me. I chose you. God is still the initiator. God is still the choose or the initiating one who chooses to initiate relationship with us. And even the how of God's initiating, the very mechanism of this partnership in prayer is discussed in the wider context of John 14, 15, and 16. Look with me at verse 26 of John chapter 15, where Jesus says, they're asking, well, how is this going to happen? Like, if you're not here anymore, how do we figure this whole prayer deal out? And Jesus says, listen, verse 26, I will send you the advocate or the counselor. I will send you the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. He will come to you from the Father and he will testify or he will make known to you all of the things about me. The language that Jesus uses to remind us of what the, the actual dynamic of prayer will be when we move from slaves to friends is that second image of partnership. It's the image of a counselor. Now, I don't know what your experiences with counseling have been. There was a time in my life where I couldn't quite figure out what was going on up here and in here. And so I took the, the step and sought out some professional assistance in the form of counseling. And I don't remember very clearly what my picture of counseling was going into that time. But I, I do remember thinking as I walked into the counselor's office, 
I sure hope that the counselor kind of waves a magic wand over my life and my situation. And I'll, I'll spend this time in here, 50 minutes, 55 minutes, whatever it is. And then I'll walk out and I'll think, I am so glad that person solved that, so, that thing for me. Because this is just so much better now. You know, I'll come a few times and this will be fantastic. So I don't remember uh, exactly, you know, how that changed over time. But I do remember that the counselor actually gave me work to do. Like they suggested I should read some things. And they suggested that I should write some things down about stuff that I was thinking and feeling about. And they didn't sort of just wave this magic wand and make that all happen for me and make it go away. But this image of a counselor is actually a very helpful one to help us understand how this partnership works in prayer. Because the language of counselor, more precisely the counselor or the Holy Spirit, is resonant right here in this text. When I open myself up to God in prayer, the Holy Spirit begins his work on my life just like a skilled counselor does in some ways. I love the way Philip Yancey says this in his book, on prayer. He says, we know how counselors work, not by giving orders or imposing changes through external force. You must do this. You need to do that. A good counselor works on the inside. And similarly, prayer is a cooperation with God, a consent on my part that opens the way for grace to work. Most of the time, the counselor communicates subtly. God's spirit whispers rather than shouts. Sometimes in prayer, I come to God with the same attitude that I went into my counselor's office with, thinking, all right, God, I'm here. A couple sessions, wave your magic wand, we'll deal with all of this stuff, and we'll get on with it. But so often God says, nah, it's not quite like that. Just like a good counselor, I'm going to work with you on the inside. I'm going to bring to life the issues. I'm going to bring them to the surface that are dormant. I'm going to deal with them by my grace. I'm going to invite you to work on some of those things in my life. And in, if we look through the scriptures, in many ways, this has always been God's pattern. I'm indebted to Philip Yancey for his chapter on partnership for much of the thinking about this. But some of the things that God wants to get done in the text of Scripture, he does them through partnership. So let's look at some examples from Scripture. In Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, God initiates as the creator, but then what's the first thing that he does? He immediately invites Adam and Eve into partnership with him to participate as stewards of creation. The earth provides seeds and soil and rain, but food crops only grow with cultivation. Abundant materials exist all through our world for technology, but human beings have to figure it out, how to use them. Another example through Scripture, when God wanted a dwelling place on the earth in the building of the tabernacle in the Old Testament and then the temple, those buildings didn't just descend from the sky like a spaceship. God saying, this is how I want it. I'm going to send it down to you on a, on a silver platter. It actually, he invited thousands of artisans and craftsmen and skilled builders to partner with him and fashion them. In the New Testament, 
Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But then he leaves and he entrusts the mission of his church to us as partners in the mission and work that he's called us to in the world. And so over and over again in Scripture, we see this pattern that God is always looking for partners to advance his purposes and his plans for the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, For we are laborers together with God. We're partners together with him. And so in prayer is one of the most simple but profound ways in which Jesus invites us to partner with him in the kingdom. And this partnership is not just in the pages of Scripture. This partnership continues actively from today because God is still inviting partners into his work in the world. He's still inviting us to partner with him in global mission. I love the story of William Carey, who was a famous missionary uh, in the late 19th century. And in the late 19th century, he felt a call of God on his life to travel to India as a worker for God's harvest. And pastors around him scoffed at the idea and said to him, young man, if God had wanted to save the heathen in India, he could certainly do it without the likes of you or us. They missed the point of partnership. See, God actually does very little in this world without the likes of you and me. Another example uh, might be in the area of prayer, how it can function when we're wrestling with an addiction, something that has a hold in our lives, whether it's alcohol, whether it's sexual addiction, whatever it is. An alcoholic might pray, Lord, take this drink away from me today. Keep me from drink today. And the answer to that prayer will more likely come from God's Spirit at work inside for a stiffening of resolve or for the partnership of a loyal friend from the outside, rather than some miraculous disappearance that God would somehow make all of the bottles of alcohol in their home vaporize from their cabinet. It's a partnership. Another example would be the work that God desires to do in the world related to justice. I think about the work that Danny uh, is doing and active with, with Youth Unlimited here, to raise the issue and awareness around human trafficking in our global economy today and here in our city today. I think about the work of International Justice Mission, IJM. And if you know a little bit about their story, each day they have built into the rhythm of their entire operations globally as they partner and seek to deliver through legal channels and political channels uh, people from areas of injustice in the world. Every day they begin with prayer, and then every day just before lunch they pause for prayer because they recognize that interdynamic uh, dependency that they have with God's Spirit to work for justice in the world. They can rush around doing all of the things that they do, but unless they anchor it in prayer then they don't anchor it and operate out of the right spirit. But they could also conversely err on the opposite side and spend all of their time praying while God says, get busy, I'm inviting you to partner with me. I've given you legal skills, I've given you resources, get out there and work for justice in the world. And so we see that it's a dynamic partnership. We don't just sit around and pray, God, would you please do something about that? 
Sometimes we're invited as partners to step into the place of advocacy and to work for peace. I think about the partnership example that would be uh, present in every home for those of us who are parents. The scripture invites us and challenges us to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Well, we don't just sit back and pray, God, I hope that whole raising kids that love you thing works out. I mean, would you just work in their hearts? I mean, certainly you do that. But you also actively partner with those who are around you. You teach and instruct them. You place them in environments where they can hear God's word taught in age-appropriate ways and respond. So today, Ruth Ellen and the team are working with the kids on a Remember and Respond Sunday. They'll have lots of opportunities and stories to tell about how they're sensitizing their hearts to what it is that God's speaking to them and their spirits leading. And so you work in partnership. You train up a child in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. And you, you also lean heavily into God's grace and his mercy. And you pray for your kids that that happens. I think about the partnership that God calls us to, to show love and mercy to those on the margins. And this is a part of the work that we do as a church family with Bethel in Guatemala. We don't just sit around and pray that would send wheelchairs. We collect mobility aids here and we ship them down there so that almost 20% of the population that lives with a disability has the tools that they need for success in life. It's a partnership. And so Jesus says in John 15, 16, I have appointed you. I have invited you as my partners to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Eugene Peterson, the translator of the message and a former professor at Regent College here in Vancouver, makes an interesting note on this passage. Uh, and the Greek, which is the original language that this is written in, uses a very particular and specific grammatical structure called the middle voice, which we don't actually have in English. And that's the third partnership image. Not only our movement from slaves to friends, not only the uh, second image of that of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives as a skilled counselor inviting us to partnership, but this idea of the middle voice. And it's a tone halfway between the active and the passive voices that describes the use of the verb as the subject participating in the results of the action. So in his analysis of John chapter 15, Peterson says, it reads like a description of Christian prayer. The subject as the participator or participating in the results of the action. I do not control the action. That's a pagan concept of prayer. Putting the gods to work by incantations or rituals that I do. Think about all around the world, different cultures and structures that pray to a deity for rain and say, okay, if I do these following things, then the deity is obligated to respond. So I don't control the action. On the other side, I am not controlled by the action. That's a more Hindu concept of prayer in which I slump passively into an impersonal and fated will of the divine of gods or goddesses. In this middle voice in Christian prayer, we actually, I enter into the action begun by another my creating and saving Lord. And I find myself participating in the results of the action. I neither do it 
nor have it done to me. I will to participate in what is willed. I will to participate in what God wills. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the whole point of partnership in prayer. I am a subject participating in the results of the action, and I'm invited to pray as such. So the point of our time together in this text today is to help each of us recognize that we pray knowing that we're radically dependent on God at the same time we recognize our own invitation to partnership and our own responsibilities. When I come to God in prayer, I recognize who He is. I recognize my radical dependence on Him even as I recognize and affirm His invitation to me in partnership. The best image that I can think of uh, for this is any project that a parent might do with their kids. I think of some of the times uh, that we spent this summer at the beach with our kids. And I wanted to build a massive sandcastle. I mean, the sand was just right for it that day. And then the kids really wanted to help too. And as any parent of young children knows, whenever you get younger kids involved in a project, it does not always go the way that you anticipate that it will go. It's going to take longer. It's going to be fraught with a lot more messiness. It's going to be a lot more complicated and less polished than if you simply did it yourself. Their assistance in any project actually complicates the project, doesn't it? I mean, I could have built a castle that was way higher and way better when about you know, one-fifth of the time that it took us to do together. But really, what fun is that? The real fun comes at the end of the day when bursting with pride in their accomplishments, the kids call mommy over and ask for the castle to be taken. And they say, mommy, daddy and I did it together. Their sense of accomplishment and pride in the partnership makes it all worthwhile. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have called us as partners. You no longer call us slaves. You call us your friends. You let us in on what it is that you're doing and what it is that you're up to in the world. And you invite us to participate in the action. We're humbled by that, God. We're challenged by that. And God, in this place today, we also recognize in our own lives that we've not always responded to that invitation of partnership. There have been times when We've let it pass us by. We've left things undone that you've invited us to do. And so, Father, we confess that as sin to you.
And we invite your spirit to do a cleansing work in our life. And to yet again invite us to that place of partnership. God, there's others among us who have been so active with our own projects, our own lives, our own issues and concerns that we have not bothered in any way to consider what is on your heart. This too is missing the point. And so God, even corporately as a church, we can be guilty of that. And so we come to you this morning, God, and invite you to do a cleansing work in our lives. Inviting you to tune our ears yet again to see and hear your invitation of grace. As we respond to your spirit, Father, we ask that you would gift us and empower us with everything that we need as your partner so that we too can say, we did it together. The work that you called us to in our lives, in our homes, in our community, in the world, the work of transformation, we did it together. And so, Father, today we express yet again our humble yet bold dependence on you in all aspects of that. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. We say amen. We're going to move towards a time of response in prayer and in communion. And as we do that, I want to invite you to ask yourself the question, on that scale of partnership, where do you find yourself? Are there any blockages to that partnership? Maybe the blockage is you're way too activistic and you need to ask God again as you meet him at the communion table today to say, God, yet again, I need to hear from you. I need to know what's on your heart and in your life. Maybe for you, you're way on the passivity side of that equation. And maybe God will speak to you specifically today about an attitude or a part of your life that God is saying, I want you to do something in this area of my world and my kingdom today. I want you to partner with me in this today. And so a communion celebration is a wonderful time and a reminder of all that God has done for us, the authority and the power that he has given to us by the shedding of his blood on the cross of Calvary some 2,000 years ago. And so when we come to the tables here at Jericho, they're open This is an act of voluntary submission and participation. And it's open for all who know Jesus as forgiver and leader of their lives. And so when you're ready, you're simply invited to step up from where you are, move to one of the tables at the side here and come. And you'll be given the bread, which represents Christ's body broken for you. You'll be given the cup, which represents his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And you can either participate there or you can take it back to your seats and we'll also have at the side people available uh, Dave and Jackie and I'll be over here at this side available to you for prayer and maybe you want to bring a request in partnership with a trusted and wise friend and we encourage you to do that today and so by coming to the table today or by coming to the prayer team you're saying God I will to participate in that which is willed by you And so if you need to take a few minutes just to examine your heart and ask God to look inside of your life and see if there's anything that he wants to speak to you about today, don't feel like you need to rush to the table. Don't feel like you have to participate. 
This is just a time of responding to the invitation and the call that Jesus places on our lives as partners.